I think about this often because I think there's a tendency in Christianity, especially with those in leadership, but I think all of Christianity, that our kids can easily become a trophy to our sanctification. Where it's like, well, look at my kid. They're so well read. They've got the Bible verses. They've got, you know, the Westminster Catechism, first five memorized. They're serving, they're blah, blah, blah. And there's this feeling of, look, here's a physical representation of my sanctification process. But the reality is that we were talking about pride two episodes ago. It's so easy to forget about grace. Mm -hmm. Because if you do all of the truisms, Truism is something that, you know, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Is it guaranteed? No, it's a truism. The intent is for you to live a healthy life in the way that you eat. The scriptures give us truisms for the way we parent, but they are not guarantees. And often I think we look at our children as we, we forget about grace and that if they grew up and they, you know, all 10 or all three or all four are saved, then we're like, ah, look, I should write a book on parenting. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I here's a here's the trophy to my sanctification. And then when we hear about other people's kids who are not in the faith, we're like, mm, you know, did they? What? Where? How did they school their children? Ah, mm -hmm. oh, well, how? What, what were they really living authentic Christian lives? Did they evangelize? It lacks grace. We forget what you just said, which is that without the faithful work of Christ, none of our kids are going to be saved. Right. They say that the third time's a charm, friends. So being that the first two times we had him on were woefully miserable, we're convinced that today our good friend, Patrick Nemers, will help us garner at least one download for today's podcast. <laughs> By the way, if you don't know, Pat, when he starts making fun of you in that way, that means you're, you're in. That's his love you're language. Totally That's his in. love language. Okay. Totally. Yeah. I've it's been the, making it's fun the of Lebanese. this guy for years. He's been in for a long time. <laughs> However, friends, I said our audience would go to one download, which would <laughs> double it. But if Pat recruits all of his and Maryland's billions of children and <laughs> grandchildren to listen, we will set a record for downloads today. No question about it. Ladies and gentlemen, here with us again is the legendary Pat Nemers, who, by the way, can't play basketball to save his life. Oh, wow. True? That was low. That Cannot. was not. That and was low. And and by the way, Oscar, he has an indoor court. Oh, really? He does. Really? I do. Are you a hooper? I am a hooper. Then no, Easy's not. But, well, <laughs> don't uh, let's not get Easy and I played one game of basketball together, and I think he he hit one right on my head, and uh, <laughs> that's where he gets his evidence uh, that I'm not that good of a basketball player. I was a wrestler, and wrestlers end up playing end up wrestling when they play basketball. It's just yeah, the way it goes. Pretty much, brother. You're still a wrestler. Yeah, yeah. still a wrestler. You for still Jesus. balling, Pat? Right. By the way, yeah. On Mondays, I do. I, I've got my right knee has had a number of surgeries, and it's just. I'm. I, it's been through its toll. Well, now I'm not I really need to come visit you guys because I play, and I'd love to hoop on a Monday night with you. That yeah. sounds like fun. Oh man, we've got some stallions on yeah. our, on our staff, and our, uh, one of them I think we're going to talk about today is a tremendous basketball player, John. Oh, nice. yeah, we'll have to talk about him. But yeah, friends, we got Pat back. Pat, let me just say the last two episodes we did were a huge blessing to me. I mean, we've been doing this. I think that these are like, we're up in the 170s in Close terms of- Close to 200, of, I think. Yeah, wow. we're starting to near 200 episodes. But, you know, we rarely have guests on, actually. Uh, we may start doing that more. You're one of, of a few that have come on. And, you know, we do a lot of these. We get encouraged while we do them. But but the last two have been special for me. Mm -hmm. I think because I know you, uh, I've read your book, obviously, but but I've seen your life. And I know that- what's written in the book matches the life that you live. And uh, it just means so much to me. You know, we, we, we talked about some, some important things, some heavy things. Mm. And uh, today we're going to talk about more heavy things, but, but a great ending yeah. to, uh, to something extremely heavy that you went through. That's An ending I don't through. put in the book, by the way. I leave everybody hanging on that. Yeah. So you're going to give us the ending today? I will if you ask for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, we will. So yeah, Pat, we're, we're just so blessed to have you back. Thanks for leaving Iowa, coming all the way out here. Friends, for those of you that haven't listened to the last two episodes with Pat, you got to check them out. Uh, you're going to be edified, encouraged, and built up, right? Had to, had to have humility after humiliation, and had to be a person who can strike back when tragedy strikes, 
And uh, today we're going to talk about taming the rebel, how to respond righteously to rebellious children. And it seems like more than ever, Pat, people have a, a, a lot of stuff to deal with with rebellious children. It seems like the, the, the online age has uh, kind of made the world smaller, has given more examples of rebellion for young people to follow. Uh, not that it wasn't there in the heart before, but we're seeing, manif- we're seeing it manifested all the more. So uh, yeah, we want to talk about that. And friends, a lot of this is based on Pat's book that you heard about in the last two episodes, Retractions, Cultivating Humility After Humiliation. And uh, you could get this at Amazon, probably the easiest place to get it, right, yeah. Pat? Yep. Yeah, check it out there. Uh, it's been doing really well. We talked about how Tim Challies put it on his top, and there's only 10 books on that list, the top books uh, that he selected for 2022. What's amazing is he only read seven books that year. <laughs> <laughs> Pat's was not one of them. He just kind of winged it on that 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 uh, plug. But anyhow, uh, check the book out, and today we're going to get into some of that. But before that, friends, one of your comments. This is from Mateo Allen. Much appreciated. I love listening to you guys while I clean or drive around for my business. You guys have the perfect and different personalities for this. Also, I was completely transformed in how I share my faith almost 20 years ago by Ray. I'm eternally grateful for you, brother. Your example is encouraging. You other three guys are all right, too. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, he's talking also about Mark Spence. Yes. He's not with us today, and we miss great. Yeah, Mark yeah. was not on the last couple episodes. Best uh, episodes been... we ever had. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we Where is Mark? Mark. Where'd he uh, go? Mark, under the table. Mark. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, Mark went to Michigan to speak uh-huh. at an event out there, and um, we, we miss him, but uh, he'll be back soon enough. All right, friends, make sure to check out Tough Questions, Apologetics Made Simple. That's a course that we have with Ray, Mark, and myself. It's five sessions, approximately 25 minutes each on three DVDs. Uh, You get all kinds of good stuff on there. You get a study guide. You get 400 gospel tracts uh, that tackle tough questions, promotional videos, printable bulletin, and certain posters. Also, if you don't want to get the uh, DVD version, you can get the MP4 version available uh, through download as well. Don't forget the Living Waters podcast mug. It's pretty good. And the Evidence Study Bible at livingwaters.com. <sighs> Rebellious children. Ray has three. Uh, <laughs> I, one of them is my wife. Um, Oscar's got three I, I am the rebellious child. Yeah, you know. Oscar was a rebel. And Pat, um, I talked about your billions of children and grandchildren. Between you and Marilyn, we heard your story in the last podcast. You are a blended family. We are. Uh, you're both, uh, I mean, you're a widower. Marilyn was a widow. Uh, how many children and grandchildren between the two of you? So a family picture of us is sort of a, you could use it for where's Waldo, just looking, <laughs> looking for me in the picture now. So uh, uh, I had seven children going into the, our marriage. She had three. So we have 10. Mm. And uh, we were married in 1997, so 26 years ago. And we now have 37 grandkids with one on the way. Wow. wow. So, so do the math. That's the wow. church. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we can fill up a pew. That's yeah. for sure. Are, are the that's odds, how your church grew. Yeah. <laughs> are the odds that you guys will eventually crack 40 at this pace? Uh, I, well, it, by that time, we might be into grands. We'll see. Ah. It's it's possible. It is. Yeah, I'll say it's possible. I don't know if it's probable. We're, yeah. we're coming to the end, I think, of the grandchildren. Okay, so oldest and youngest. Name them all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, how much time does this podcast yeah. uh, So the oldest is 17, almost 18, and the youngest is just a couple of months old. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah. So you, you literally are close to potential great-grandparenthood. Yeah, we are. Well, I mean, hopefully within the next decade. We'll yeah. see. Yeah, Ray has fought the whole grandfather, great grandfather. He, he, Sorry, he, are you getting him. jealous right now? <laughs> no, I'm covetous I, I, here. I, no, I, I fought the whole thing because of what your wife did to me. What was that? Remind she me. She turned the first baby, Julia, around at me and said, "There's Gramps," <laughs> and I thought, "I'm not ready for that. I'm, I'm just turned whatever I was. Yeah. I'm not ready for the rocking chair on the on the veranda." But um, so I tried Super Dad and Forefather. Uh, I've been stuck with Grandpa. Forefather. 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 The old fashioned name, Grandpa. We're Nana and Papa. We are. Oh, That's the way it we're works. Close. We're close. We're Nana, Nana, Nana and Pops. Ah, there you yeah. go. 
There you and go. And pops. It's a joy. Most of our kids live near us, almost all of them, except for uh, we have one that's planted a church out in Illinois. He's about five hours away. Otherwise, the whole clan is within a half hour of Amazing. us. That's pretty cool. Mm, yeah. Side note about kids. I'm the only one that's not a grandpa here, but my my youngest daughter last night in our in our prayers, in her prayer of thankfulness, she goes, thank you, God, for a house because not, not everyone have homes they live in. And we also recognize that not everyone has ever had in and out. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. We that's have to so go bad. through our and enjoy in and out. Yeah. Oh, that's you know what? That's actually Mark, frightening. <laughs> Mark Spence is going to enjoy this. Our daughter had just sent this uh, yesterday. She said, yesterday had and saw Noah Spence, who's uh, Mark's uh, son, and asked him, where his boat was. <laughs> he, he was starstruck when he saw Noah too. Like he couldn't believe he was talking to V Noah. Where your boat? He said, where your boat? That's oh, I love it, man. But the joy, huh, Pat, that, that children and grandchildren bring, uh, especially when they're serving the Lord and, and, and love God. You know, I preached a sermon a few years ago, and I put up our the family photo, one of the most recent at that time, which is sort of overwhelming to everyone when you put it up on a screen, you yeah. know. And I want to be careful. I don't want to exploit them too much. But I did it with a purpose. I said, this is my family. Some people were clapping. I didn't do it for that intention. I said, and I stopped, and I walked toward the screen and stared at it for a little while. I said, there are 30-some individuals in this, 30-some grandchildren. I said... I don't know their futures. Hmm. I don't know if all of them will become Christians. I don't know what struggles they face. God does. But it was my, a little intro into, you know, what I I often call cake box parenting, which is, you know, when you got to, if you want to make a cake, you you can say kickbox? Cake, not kickbox, (laughs) mostly. (laughs) Cakebox. So if you turn the cake cake box around, you see the recipe, you grease the pan, you put the eggs and flour in, and you turn the oven to 350, and you mix it all together, and you're going to get a cake every time, right? Mm. Cakebox parenting does that amongst Christianity. It says, if I do everything just thus and so... That guarantees my children will come to know Jesus. We certainly hope and pray to that end, do we not? Hmm. But last I checked, uh, we are chosen from the foundation of the world. There's this. There, our theology comes into play here. I cannot save my children. Good, yeah. I can't save them. I can't sanctify them. I can do everything I can as a parent to live for Jesus and present a consistent, albeit imperfect, life in the hopes that they'll come to Jesus. And uh, uh, and I'm thankful uh, that my children have all laid claim to Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, and almost all of them are living a very full and dedicated Christian life. But uh, I've had some struggles and with a couple of them, and that might be the lead, and I don't want to take anything off yeah. of your, your plate here yeah. by way yeah, of questions. Yeah, for sure. We'll, we'll get that. But let's first talk about that, because I think that a lot of times— there is this disconnect between our sentiment about what our children should be and reality in terms of us living in a fallen, broken world. And that, you know, salvation is of the Lord, like you alluded to. And that it's not about this, this formula that I love the, the cake box analogy you used, but, it, but it's about being sure to not circumnavigate the process that God often uses to bring our children to repentance. I mean, Ray, you've talked about this often, the whole say the prayer thing. Hmm. Yeah, it's easy to get decisions from children. I'm not boasting here, but if you give me 100 kids in a hall, I can get 99 of them to give their hearts to Jesus within one minute. Hmm. Just say, oh, kids, anyone tell me how you get to heaven? Yes, Tommy, give your heart to Jesus. Okay, who wants to go to heaven? Raise your hands. Mm. And there you go, 100 decisions, so 99, because the kid down there isn't listening. But <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the problem. And uh, it's, it's a lack of understanding what salvation is. Oh, salvation is the Lord. There must be a knowledge of sin. There must be genuine contrition, God-given repentance. Cleanse your hands, your sinners. Purify your hearts, your double-minded. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. You don't say that to a four or five-year-old kid because mm. they've got no understanding. You know, it's... So, uh, uh, sorry. No, there was that so was just a filler. So, uh, so uh, <laughs> that was your way of saying Oscar say something. Yeah. Um, I, I think about this often because I think there's a tendency in Christianity, especially with those in leadership, but I think all of Christianity, that our kids can easily become a trophy 
to our sanctification where it's like, well, look at my kid. They're so well read. They've got the Bible verses. They've got, you know, the Westminster Catechism, first five memorized. They're serving, they're blah, blah, blah. And there's this feeling of, look, here's a physical representation of my sanctification process. But the reality is that we were talking about pride um, two episodes ago. It's so easy to forget about grace Mm -hmm. because if you do all of the truisms, Truism is something that, you know, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Is it guaranteed? No, it's a truism. The intent is for you to live a healthy life in the way that you eat. The scriptures give us truisms for the way we parent, but they are not guarantees. And often I think we look at our children as we we forget about grace and that if they grew up and they, you know, all 10 or all three or all four are saved, then we're like, ah, look. I should write a book on parenting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I here's a here's the trophy to my sanctification. And then when we hear about other people's kids who are not in the faith, we're like, mm, you know, did they? What, where? How did they school their children? Ah, mm-hmm. oh, well, how? What were they really living authentic Christian lives? Did they evangelize? It lacks grace. We forget what you just said, which is that without the faithful work of Christ none of our kids are going to be saved. Right. Yeah. We have to depend wholly and solely on his workmanship. Yeah. And, you know, I think a part of that formula that sometimes people will look at is connected to verses that are misunderstood in terms of, of their intent. And, and that would be like truisms that we see in the Proverbs, you know, bring up a child in a way that he shall go. And even when he'll, he's old, he won't depart from it. And so some parents will look and say, well, look, we did everything. And we, we you know, we taught in the ways of the Lord. They went to church the day they were born, literally. <laughs> we took them to service, you know, we, this and that. And, and they're not, oh, we must have done something wrong. We must have, no, that's a truism, right? And, and, and we can parse it out and look at the application of that. But, but we have to be careful. You know, my favorite book, and we've talked about it here before, uh, is is the book by Ted Tripp, Shepherding a Child's Heart. And in there, he talks about shaping influences. A- and those are the influences provided by parents, like raising them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, teaching them the word, being godly parents, not living hypocritical lives, so on and so forth. But in the final analysis, he touches on something called Godward orientation. And that is th- that particular child and, and what's going on in their heart and, and all the spiritual dynamics connected to that. So, so we have to understand that every family is different. Every child is different. Every circumstance is different. And we just have to be careful that we don't just try to rush to get our kids saved. And, and Ray, I've mentioned this before on the podcast as well. One of the sweet things with Rachel is that because you held up God's law before your kids, it ended up leading Rachel in particular to Christ that day when she finally realized she couldn't stop being horrible to her brothers. Well, she's seven or eight. Yeah. yeah. But she came here and she said, she like realized I can't love my brothers the way that I know I should. There's some, the sin inside of me. And that led her to come to you and, and Sue and say, I, I, I need the Lord. Mm-hmm. And it brought her to genuine faith. Oscar, are you going to say something? I was just going to say, Ray was like, I can't love them either. Help <laughs> <laughs> me, Lord. I heard a theologian say once, it was really impressive to me, that no child can be saved unless they understand some aspect of substitution. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we talked about Christ died for our sins. Uh, I, to some degree, a child must understand that. Now, we have to balance that with Jesus' own words in Matthew 18, unless you become like a child mm. uh, and be converted. And remember he said in Luke's gospel, let the little children come to me. So there is that sense. I completely agree with what you said. I mean, I, I've been there and done that. I've been the evangelist in, in children's camps where, you know, I could just say, raise your hand and they're all going to raise their hand, you know, but do they understand substitutionary atonement on yeah. some level? They got to understand that Christ died on behalf of their sins mm. or they'll never be saved. Yeah. Yeah, it's very true. And I think a lot of parents uh, on the other side of all of this uh, shortchange their kids because they underestimate how much they can really understand, how much they can grasp. And let me just say for those of you listening, there are creative ways to teach your children truths, especially at a young age, that can be radically impactful. You know, I've shared before with with our kids, we did this uh, thing. It was this this series called Family Night Treasure Chest and or Tool Chest. And it had all these ideas of different things you can do. And so one day I told Rachel before I left and I got the idea from the book, hey, when I'm gone today and the kids 
misbehave, don't discipline them. Just write down what they did, and when I come home, we'll deal with it. And so, of course, I get home in the evening, and a list about a mile long hits me, so I walk <laughs> through the door. She really took note to, to what I told her to do. And so I, I set up a courtroom scenario in the living room that evening. I put on the bathrobe. I was a judge. You know, oh, brought out wow. a table for the judge's bench, brought out a, a meat tenderizer for the gavel, you know, and, and we, we, we brought out the criminals, little Julia's Wayne, little Summer's Wayne, and Mama Rachel was the eyewitness who, who testified to, to their crimes. And so we had court in our living room, you know, and then the kids were laughing, this is really fun and cute, you know, and so uh, then I brought the gavel down. And I said, okay, you know, Julia Zwayne, uh, you, you, pl- you pled guilty or guilty, Summer Zwayne, same thing. Tomorrow, the uh, consequences for your crime are going to be that you have no sweets, no snacks, no desserts, only your, your breakfast, lunch, dinner, and water. At the end of the evening, we're going to sit down and we're going to have a delicious dessert. And you're going to have to sit there and watch us as we eat it. And suddenly it went from hey to no you know they were just just miserable so then i came from behind the benches the the judge's bench took off the robe and i looked at him i said kids as a judge i had to be just and pass sentence but as your father tomorrow i'm taking your consequences upon myself Mm -hmm. tomorrow i get no snacks sweets desserts only breakfast lunch and dinner and then we're gonna sit down and you guys are gonna have that delicious dessert while i sit there and watch you eat it dad we're the guilty ones you shouldn't have to bear that and and so i said kids this is and then we did it that night the next day and and they were like sitting there with tears streaming down their face trying to give me their dessert you know Mm. moves me as i think about it and wow and so i was able to draw the analogy and, and i was able to say to them kids this is what the lord did for us we violated his law we broke his commandments we deserve his wrath and judgment but then Jesus left the heights of heaven and took our place. That substitutionary atonement you're talking about mm-hmm. and, uh, and rose again from the dead. And if we repent and place our faith in him, then uh, we're free. And it was so amazing because my daughter, Julia, who's a school teacher now at a Christian school, she called me recently and said, hey, dad, I'm going to do that with the kids in oh, class. Oh, yeah. Can you remind me of some of the details? <laughs> and and you know, they, they'll never forget it for the rest of their life. So That's powerful. Yeah, there are ways that we can convey that truth to our kids. That's that powerful. Powerful. And on that note, I'd love to get into um, that rebellious child, that even when you, grow, you, you raise them up in, in God's word and in his truth and in the church, uh, and Pat, you get into to detail. You, you had uh, a problem child, I, guess, I don't know if we want to call it that, it sounds kind of rude, but... A couple uh, of them actually, go on. John, yeah, let me, just, <laughs> let me just read this excerpt, and then I'd love for you us to fill us in and tell the story. So you say uh, in the chapter titled John, when he was little, John had been easy and compliant. He was so quiet, he could almost go unnoticed around the house. Like most boys, he loved sports and loved to play. He also had lots of friends. Although his grades in school were never very good, he was not a problem child until within just a short time, he became one. Tell us that story, John, about uh, John, Pat, about John. You know, maybe the squad car moment and then and then what it looks like to disciple and pray for a kid out of that. Hey, listener, have you ever imagined yourself having a box of goodies for you to give away to every friend, loved one, non-believer that crosses your path? Well, now you can get one. That's because Living Waters is giving away 10 free boxes of goodies every single week. That's eight in the USA and two overseas. And this is being made possible by a faithful partner of ours that has given us funds to make these resources available to you for free. Each of these boxes has a hundred dollars. That's right, $100 worth of tracks, books, and even your very own podcast mug. Go to livingwaters.com forward slash podcast, fill out the form, and then listen to the end of the episodes where we will be announcing our winners. Livingwaters.com forward slash podcast. Good luck. Yeah, well, and, and he was named after me. My name is Patrick John. His okay. name is John Patrick. Ah. So, uh, so it's your uh, fault. Yeah, so it is my <laughs> fault. Well, to some degree, anyway. And I, you know, I look back on my years of parenting, and uh, and they weren't perfect. 
I mean, I have, I do have regrets. Uh, What's the worst things, thing you did? No, I'm joking. Uh, well, that, <laughs> that might take another podcast, but, uh, but with John, yeah, that's exactly right. That's how I read it, wrote it. That is. And then uh, about the time he was in seventh or eighth grade, he just became very distant. I first, we first noticed it during our family time that easy alluded to. And we did fun things too. We, we would, we, when they were little, they'd reenact stories like David and Goliath, yeah. a lot of fun things and demonstrative things that they would remember. And they, they go back and remember these family times. In fact, for 20 years, every Sunday night, about 9.30 at night, everybody had to be back home. You know, whatever they were throwing to the wind, going out with friends, whatever, after church or whatever, youth group. They came back at 9.30 and we all, all 12 of us gathered together in our living room. And we had to talk, everybody had to say something, some highlight of the day. It could have been a song that was sung. It could have been an encounter in the foyer. It could have been something they learned in Sunday school. And God forbid, it might be something they heard their dad preach, you know. <laughs> but, and it was fun. And we talked about this back and forth. And we didn't say, now it's your turn and now it's your turn. We actually said, you know, we almost 90 to 100 percent of the time they all participated hmm. but we made it so that you didn't have to talk if you didn't feel like it and we first noticed that john quit talking hmm. he uh he just quit saying anything i can remember one time he did say something it was so minuscule but i was so excited that he said something that he was that he got and actually it was an encounter with a guy he goes so and so talked to me in the foyer and i just thought that was really cool wow hmm. And I, two things were going on. I'm glad for the guy who talked to him. Mm. And secondly, where is my son going? Mm. And uh, how old was he at this point? He's probably about 12. Okay. Uh, and so he just kept getting darker, choosing his friends were not good friends. And we'd have these conversations, not try to be too rough on him. But, and, and then there just, there was, there was a, there was a perfect storm of situations like friends. He didn't, there was hardly any godly boys in the school he was going to. It was a Christian school and it was just a real struggle. Fast forward, um, we saw some anger coming out of him and he was just the most compliant, quiet boy. Suddenly he became an angry boy. And then it happened. Uh, I'd heard something about it, but I wasn't sure if it was true or not. And one day I looked out in the driveway and a police car pulled up. And I thought, wow, police cars in our driver. What's this all about? And by this time, John is now 15, almost 16 years old. The police car comes out. A police man comes into the, uh, policeman comes into our home. He asked if John was around. I asked John to come out of his bedroom, came out of his bedroom. And I noticed his knuckles were all red. And he asked if he had gotten into a fight that the, the night before. John just acknowledged right away. He said, yeah, he had been. He said, okay, well, I need you to come down to the police station. And so I drove him down there. I thought that would put the fear of God in him. Mm. It was basically a hard slap on the hand with the warning. If anything like this happened again, all of what he did in this fight he got into was going to come back on him. Well, two weeks later, he did the same thing. Somebody looked at his girlfriend. You know, it really wasn't a, egregious, but John was very jealous. He was very angry. He punched that man. Uh, but this man punched him back. Mm -hmm. And uh, John went on the run. The, the police were looking for him. And uh, he finally showed up. We, we had to go back to the police station. And this time, the hardest thing I've, I'd ever had to endure in the moment was to see him get arrested mm -hmm. at age 16, taken away in handcuffs, put in a juvenile detention center for two weeks. Uh. And is that was, for that second fight? It was for the second fight, but the first one came, oh, the first one, which was worse, came back into play. Storing up it was, it was an assault, so it was yeah. a federal offense. It was a major, major crime. Wow. And uh, so, uh, so we went through all of the, all the, all the stuff, trial. I mean, it, it, was, it was very disheartening. My heart was grieved. I actually was ready to submit my resignation. And this is in the middle of... Of, we planted it. We were in the middle of planting our third church. The church was growing exponentially. Everything from the outside looked like success, success, mm -hmm. success. I was dying death by a thousand cuts every every day because of my son John. Wow. Yeah. And so, really, what uh, what it came to, and I was pleading. My wife and I, we were pleading in tears before God for him. But I'll, I'll, I'll really it came to the. This is what it came to. A couple, several weeks earlier, we'd had a 26-year-old woman die 
from cancer in our church. Very sad, wow. young mother of a couple kids. And that morning I had read Psalm 63, verse three, and I was really caught up in the, the it says, your loving kindness, O God, is better than life itself. Therefore my lips will praise you. And I sent that to the widower saying, you know, I know you're grieving. I love you, brother. Uh, may the loving kindness of God be even better than life itself with the death of your wife. And he took solace. He loved that. And uh, that verse continued to sort of, you know, I don't know, just begin to grow on me. And uh, so now back to John. He's back out of jail. He's out of jail. He's wearing an ankle bracelet because they want to keep their eye on him now. He has to stay close to home, so it's pretty good. But as time goes by, behavior modification doesn't save anybody. Mm -hmm. And he's out trying to look to do other things. He's out partying. And our, I, so far as I know, he had to be back by 11 o'clock. Mm. He wasn't. It's Saturday night. I'm preparing to preach. 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock. I'm texting. I'm calling. He's not responding. Uh -huh. 2 a.m., still not hearing from him. I go to bed. I'm lying in bed. Marilyn's next to me, my wife. She doesn't know he's not home, and I'm not about to tell her. She's asleep. And I'm pleading with God for the soul of my son. Mm. Because he'd been warned if he got caught, he'd be thrown into adult jail, and it wouldn't be the same. Mm. And I'm pleading with God, tears coursing down my cheeks, literally. And I'm telling you, guys, I didn't hear anything audible. I had nothing. I didn't have a charismatic experience, but I might as well have. <laughs> because as I lay there in bed and pleading with God, it's like God spoke to my heart. Because off of that verse, your loving kindness is better. Because the word better is a term of comparison. Mm -hmm. It's better than life itself. Therefore, my lips will praise you. And I sense the Lord say, you don't trust me. And I, I literally talk about God. Oh, God, I, I, I trust you. I trust you. No, no, you don't. No, I, I do. No, you don't. You tell everybody else to trust me, but just look at you. You're demonstrating that you don't trust me. And that, that stopped me, that, just that thought. And then I sensed, it, again, I'm not saying I heard a voice. It just I sensed the Lord saying to my spirit, will you honor me more than the soul of your son? Hmm. Dang. Well, you love me more than the soul of your son. And I'm telling you guys, that broke me. Yeah. Because in that moment, I realized, I, if it's possible, I made an idol out of the soul of my son. I can't save him. I can't even hardly control him at this point. And uh, so I, I repented. I realized, and it, it had affected my my vision of God, my walk with God. And I confessed it right there laying in bed. I said, God, I repent. I will love you and honor you regardless of what you do with my son, John, whether you choose to save him or not, I will honor you and forgive me for not doing so. And I'm telling you men, as God is my witness, I had peace like I'd just gotten saved. Wow. I mean, it just came right over me. I, I fell asleep hmm. and John did not even come home that night. Wow. No. In fact, things got worse before they got better. He didn't go to adult jail, but nearly did. Hmm. But I had something. We're talking about parenting, right? Rebellious children. Yeah. I had something I didn't have before that night. Peace. I had peace. Hmm. I, 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 there were still anxious moments. There were still decisions that had to be made. There were still hard words that had to be shared. But he no longer controlled my soul. Hmm. Wow. He was not an idol anymore. Hmm. And I was freed up. I was totally freed up. And uh, so, what, how, how was that expressed? Was it expressed in your joy, prayer life? Thank you, Lord, that all things are working together for good. Your hand is upon them. All that. And then just, the, just not being held captive by yeah. the anxiety of what's next. What, you know, when's the other, when's the other shoe going to fall yeah. with my son, John? I, I didn't live in that fear. I, I had to deal with issues, but I didn't live in that fear any longer. Mm. And, uh, and John, I think, seemed to know it. 
Now, I kind of leave everybody hanging in the book because I said that's, that's for a different story. Because I, after I wrote the book and the book came out, I had people coming back, whatever happened to John? I mean, we, we see he's preaching today, you know. So uh, actually, it was about before it, Before we yeah, get that, go ahead. Because um, I, I want to pause and sort of talk about that, that season, that moment where you're fathering a, a rebellious child. Um, how do you pursue rebellious children with the gospel? What, what does love and discipleship, uh, you know, whatever, what does that look like? What, what wisdom and counsel could you give a parent whose kid is in that season of, of life? How do they pursue their children with the gospel? Well, the answer to the question from my, and I, I give this counsel quite often now, is not to keep preaching the gospel to them. Now that sounds probably heretical to you, but if your children know the gospel clearly, you don't have to keep declaring it to them every day. In fact, that, that just drives them farther away. This is where you have to put on love. This, I mean, we preach this, you know, this is where, this is where grace really does come in. So John was, John's a basketball player. He's a really good, he looks like a wrestler, plays like a basketball, but he's a basketball player. And uh, he's I gotta, a, hang, I gotta hang out with this guy. Yeah, he's a tremendous <laughs> basketball player. And he loved, always loved basketball. And well, we played basketball three, four days a week in those days. Wow. And so, uh, and so I made sure that he always was invited because he would come. That was the way I'd connect with him. We didn't have lengthy conversations. In fact, I remember he would come. I still remember this. It looked like a demon shirt that he wore. Is this the <laughs> ugliest shirt? And I remember a guy we were playing with, they, he'd say to John, what do you got the demon shirt on for me? They'd ask him and he'd just ignore him, you know, and, and, uh, but we played regularly and he would, he looked forward to get that, that invitation. I looked for opportunities to connect with him. So I, you know, I'm not Billy Graham or even 18 generations, uh, close to him, but I, I did, I get opportunities to speak in lots of places around the United States and have for many years. That year, uh, I told my wife, I said, I am committing myself to not go anywhere else. I'll pastor this church and I'm pastoring our boys because his older brother, Daniel, was not much better than him. I referenced that in the book. John, much worse. He went a lot darker than Daniel. But I used to say, people would say, how can we pray for your sons? I'd say, well, pray that they'll be converted, whatever converted means. (laughs) It wasn't that I didn't understand biblical conversion, but it was a perfect prayer request because as it turned out, Daniel was a Christian, but not living for God. John was not a Christian. Uh, Both of them needed to be converted, turned back to the Lord, right? One for salvation, one for restoration. So it really was the perfect prayer request. So, but anyway, that, that, that was, as that was going on, where was I, where was I talking about? I asked you, um, how do you disciple? How do you pursue children in that phase? You mentioned time, basketball. Hanging out with them. And I didn't, take any preaching opportunities. And so I dedicated myself to getting with those boys. As I, and they, they would tell you they hated it, <laughs> okay? Uh, I mean, it wasn't like you say, oh, goody, goody, here comes dad, you know? I'd come, if they were watching a television show, I'd just go down and sit with them. And uh, I wouldn't judge the show or whatever, I would just talk. And they would tell you that, that dad wouldn't let us go. I just, I wasn't, I wasn't going to let them go. And I learned this, by the way, from my wife, Marilyn. I want to give a shout out to my wife here. Mm. So what, in the midst of all this, our oldest son was off to college. And these are he, your youngest boys. Uh, no, th- these are my two youngest, but our oldest is Marilyn's firstborn. Okay. And uh, I noticed that... Um, Every morning he would go off to college. He would he stayed. He lived at home, but he'd drive to college at forty minutes away. So he'd get up really early in the morning. He, he's the he's he's a godly man. He was a godly kid then, but he was just super quiet and probably like like his dad, who's with the Lord. So, but every morning Marilyn would go out and sit with him at breakfast time, wow. and I would I'd be in the bedroom just Nick next to her reading my Bible, which of course you know is a spiritual thing to do in the morning, you know. But I'm listening to my wife talking to our son, her oldest, and hers is the only voice I'm hearing. She's asking about his day. She's interacting. And all I hear from him is, yep, uh uh-huh, no, okay, see ya, bye, love you. That's it. That's in about 20-minute conversation. Uh I remember sitting there one day thinking, 
honey, what are you doing? He's not even talking back with you. And as soon as that thought came to my mind, I thought, that's it. That's it. She has the answer. Mm-hmm. She was saying without saying it, I will be in your life. Whether you like it or not, I'm in your life. Mm. And, uh, and I realized that's not what I was doing. I let, mm. This would be a mistake I made, I would confess, that I let the, I let the rope out too far with my boys. Mm. I, I, let, I, you know, I, was, I had to come back in. Yeah. And that's what I did. So I spent time with them and in the hopes that we could just repair the relationship. Mm. And then God did something spectacular about yeah, eight what or nine later. Amen. Well, let me let me just say real quick before we go there. You know that is such an undervalued thing, time spent with our children. And Pat, I, I like what you said. You know about how you're in the next room reading your Bible, and we have to recognize as Christians that there are there are in some cases the wrong time to do the right thing. And what I mean by that is, if as an example, you're employed by an employer and you're at work and you think, well, I got to read the word. You know, I always got to be in the word. So yeah. every moment you, you get a little break, you're, that's probably the most wicked thing you could do at the time because you're called to live out the word by being what God has called you to be as an employee. And that is faithful, diligent, hardworking. You should shine. You should be the best employee in that entire place, you know? Yeah. But spending time with our children, and I think we have... Uh, the greatest impediment to that ever in our day and age because of these stupid little things we're yeah. holding right here, yeah. right? I mean, they they have all of our attention, all of our focus. We can get lost in, in these rabbit this holes This is a for podcast. Hours. What's that? People don't know what you were talking oh, about. Phones. Oh, yeah, uh, our, uh, phones. Yeah. They thought you were holding your nose. The one-eyed demons, right? They thought you were holding your nose. So why don't we uh, all so, make a covenant, the four of us, and just burn our phone? <laughs> <laughs> you first, Ray. <laughs> no, uh, you first. <laughs> don't even talk about uh, it. <laughs> so, but you know, that's one of the things I've mentioned before that Rachel said about about Ray. He, he was itinerating and was gone a lot, like regularly flying out almost every weekend, you know, speaking places. But she said one of the most powerful things I've ever heard a child of a pastor or an itinerant minister ever say. She said, but I never felt like he was gone mm. because when he was home, he really made it count. Mm. And I mean, she has repeated that so many times to different people that her dad made it count. He was out, they were frogging out in the pond, in the forest, they were playing games. They were, he was, And that's, that's so important. Even if we're not doing spiritual things, you're conveying spiritual dynamics by being present and loving them. And, and, and those times will naturally come. That's, that's key. Uh, listener, for you, those who don't know, frogging is a, a comfort tradition where you dress up like a frog and eat flies. It is not. <laughs> <laughs> There's a pond about a mile and a half from us through a forest. We go there regularly and take nets, and I get up to my, net, my, neck, my neck and catch frogs, and we'd sell them at the front gate because these things were like toys that hopped. And didn't have to didn't have batteries, so people would pay money for them, and that's how we paid for our first trip to the U.S. for the kids was frog finance. Wow, Amazing. frog funds, yeah, frog funds. Wow. All right, Pat. So we got a few minutes left, about five or so. So now take us into what happened with John. So I alluded to his brother Daniel, who was a Christian, but was as far gone as John in many ways. Except Daniel would always, whenever he would get caught uh, sinning. Uh, he would always weep. He would always repent. John just got darker. So there's the, that one was saved, one wasn't. Daniel was, uh, Daniel's a lot like me. His personality's a lot like me. And he just was sort of the, he's the life of the party wherever he was at. And uh, he was dating the class Val Victorian, sharp, sharp, not a Christian, but she was planning even in high school to become a doctor or a PA. And, uh, and they were talking and she said to Daniel, so what are you planning on doing in life? And Daniel said, I don't have any plans. <laughs> and, uh, and she looked at him and she goes, well, that's why I'm dumping you, <laughs> because wow. I'm not going to marry a guy who has no plans in his life. Wow. And, and I'm telling you, that sent him into a tailspin. Mm-hmm. He was working for a guy. He was, he was cleaning a, a, a machine, and he fell on his knees and repented and turned back to God wow. he, and asked Christ to forgive him. He would walk with him again. Daniel went to a house where they were all smoking marijuana. And our son, John, was amongst a bunch of guys doing, like about a dozen guys. Hmm. 
And Daniel walked in, as only Daniel could do, and made the announcement, I have given my life back to Jesus Christ. I'm never coming back here again. Wow. I love you guys. I'd love to be able to talk to you guys about this, but you're not going to see me here. If you want to follow me, come with me. Otherwise, I'm not coming back here. He walked into the lion's den. And walked back out. Yeah. And one by one, they were yelling. They were, they were just saying they were vulgarity at Daniel. Mm. One, of, one guy said, I think it's cool. He's standing up for what he believes. That guy became a Christian, mm, cool. baptized and everything. But John was there. Mm. Smoking reefer. Mm. And he looked at, he told me later, he said, Dad, I knew then Daniel was the real deal. Wow. And so it wasn't long thereafter, John went to a kegger at a at some by some lake and so, got it, got into what's, another fight. What's, what's a kegger? A kegger, uh, where they drink a lot of beer out of a keg. Okay. Big uh, keg. Uh, so, uh, Innocent child. Yeah, 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 sorry. Yeah. Frogger. <laughs> Ray you go ahead and catch frog and the rest of them are drinking beer. But anyway, uh, so uh, he got into a fight with a national wrestling champion. Bad guy to choose a fight with. And that guy broke John's shoulder. Whoa. Flipped him and broke his shoulder. He called his brother Daniel and said, come and get me. So Daniel came and got me, his shoulder's in a sling. Daniel's taking him to the doctor. And Daniel looked at him and said, look at your life. Look at you. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. Uh, and I know that sounds almost anticlimactic in some ways, because John said, right there I knew, I am a total loser. Uh, I have got to do something about he, everything. This gets back to what you do with a rebellious child. Yeah. All the truth that he knew just came flooding back in. Wow. And he called me up and said, Dad, I want to go to a certain camp, a Bible camp, which kids at his age didn't want, ever want to go to a camp. He's like yeah. 17, almost he's 18 now. And he almost planned his salvation. I think right then he placed his faith in Jesus. He went to the camp. He went forward during the message, and he has never looked back. And I'm telling you, I have seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people come to know Jesus as Savior and watch their lives radically changed. He's top five. Wow. Top five. He, and today and just about just two weeks ago, our church laid hands on John Nemers and commissioned him as the next church planter in the Engage Network. So, wow. And I couldn't be, we couldn't be more joyful. Praise God. And how old is John now, Pat? John is, he'll be 29 years old next month. That is just amazing. And I've had the privilege to spend some time with John and, and uh, a lot of your children uh, back when we went to Iowa and what a delight it is to see what the Lord has done. And friends, for those of you listening, again, we hope that you've caught from all that we've been talking about that the thing to do to uh, deal with a rebellious child righteously, because remember, to deal with sin sinfully is sinful. There's an unrighteous way to stand up for righteousness. Yeah. And so what you need to do is, as Ray talks about often, you don't be a hypocrite. That's one of the worst things you can do for your children. Uh, that will embitter them unlike anything else. Yeah. But to be present, to be present, to follow Marilyn's example, which Pat ended up following, and, yeah. and to be there. And your kids may not respond favorably, especially if you're not accustomed or they're not accustomed to you spending a lot of time with them. At first, they might bristle. They might act weird. They might not talk. But you must persist in love. Amen. Be present. Mm. Can can I add a quick addendum? Please. So I, we've already talked about dealing with rebellious kids. I would say to the parents out there, don't make them an idol. Too many kids yeah. are doing, too many parents are doing that. Don't make, I actually unwittingly did that with John. Mm. Psalm 63, verse three. I'm not a, I'm not an advocate of tattoos. Okay. In fact, I've joked with our, I joked with preachers if you uh if you don't like tattoos don't tell your kids because they'll get all tatted up <laughs> and and so john has a tattoo on his chest he didn't know about the story with the widower i gave psalm 63 verse 3 to. he didn't know about my encounter with god in bed over psalm 63 verse 3 on his very own he fell in love with Psalm 63, wow. verse 3. Mm. And he has that reference tack, tattooed on his chest. Wow. Your loving kindness, O oh God, is better than life itself. Mm. Therefore, my lips will praise you. I like this guy more and more. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Well, that's, that's just so wonderful, Pat. And brother, thank you for 
just giving of your time for coming on here. And friends, all of this and much, much more is in Retractions, Pat's book, Retractions, Cultivating Humility After Humiliation. Again, the name is Pat Nemers, N-E-M-M-E-R-S. Amazon, you'll get this thing delivered to you in like 30 seconds these days. (laughs) They don't waste any time anymore. You'll get it before you order it, maybe even. (laughs) But but I'm telling you, this is a life changer. Pat, you know, after I read the book, I I gave you input and I I gave you constructive criticism. But you know, I also gave you praise. Mm. uh, And that praise was was not flattery. It was sincerity. And I told you, this book is going to be uh, it's going to go big and it's going to impact a lot of people. I have no doubt. As I've mentioned, this is one of the top podcasts in the world. It thrilled me to think we can tell people about it because it, it's, there's just no other way to put it. It is radically powerful mm. and it's full of transformative truth. And so friends, please get this book, Retractions, Cultivating Humility After Humiliation. And Pat, I love you, brother. Um, love you too. The Lord was so kind on that day when he... Uh, brought our lives together, knit our hearts together. Yeah. And um, I, honestly, you and Marilyn are are some of mine and Rachel's favorite people on the planet. Mm. And uh, we're so excited to continue the, the journey of joy with you guys. Thank you, brother. Thanks for letting me be with you. Our pleasure. There so you have this it, is going to be difficult. Do you go crazy? Or? Yeah, 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 I'll go okay. crazy. So remember, friends, <laughs> make sure <laughs> to check out Tough Questions. Don't forget Living Waters Podcast mug and the Evidence Bible. Don't forget to give us your thoughts, your suggestions, your criticisms of Oscar's shirt today, and all that other good stuff at podcastlivingwaters.com. Remember to give us ratings. Keep us up there. Hey, I am a bit disappointed because we had been what, five stars forever. As long as we've been on, I mean, uh, it, it's almost unheard of that we've stayed at five stars. We're at 4.9. Oh, my. So that means what? We, ha- we saw that once way back when. That means you guys got to get on there and give us a rating, five stars, so that we could stay at five because that'll get it far and wide. Thanks for joining us, friends. We'll see you here next time on the Living Waters Podcast. We're still, yes, still, we have no idea what we're doing. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. I have no idea where that ridiculous saying came from, but friends, we do have winners. Winners for the podcast giveaway. That is the Living Waters podcast. We have Angela from Yucca Valley, California. Yvonne from Crestline, California. Brooke from Clayton, North Carolina. Andrea from Anderson, Indiana. Elias from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Becca from Lincoln University, Pennsylvania. Lowell from Yakima, Washington. Don from Charleston, Illinois. John from Ford, Australia. Good on you, Mike. And Dave from Willen Lane, United Kingdom. Congrats.